Welcome back to episode number 164 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety, entries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's podcast, we're doing a crossover episode with Jordan Newton from Sonic Air Systems. This is actually an interview that they did of me for a webinar that they gave called The Top Three Things You Should Do Now to Avoid a Combustible Dust Event. So this is an event that Sonic Air put on and Jordan hosted where they just had a discussion. Him and I sat down and we took, we talked through some sort of structured questions around this idea of top three things you should do now to avoid a combustible dust event. We took some question and answer at the end of the session um, and they recorded and are putting it as a webinar, uh, did put it as a webinar as part of the, the Sonic Air material they've created. I'm asking them if it was all right to just record the session on my own side, and put it as this crossover episode so that the same sort of material could be useful to you listening to the podcast here today. So in the interview then, and it's going to be an interesting one because Jordan's interviewing me, so you get to hear some of my perspective, sort of something different than you don't typically hear on the podcast where I'm interviewing other folks. But he's going to talk to me around you know, why we started Dust Safety Science, Dust Safety Academy, Dust Safety Professionals, where these platforms came from, what kind of challenges do we address in the world, why do we do what we do, why is combustible dust a challenge and why do regulators care so much, why do industry care so much, and then we sort of go on these top three things you should do now to avoid an event. Of course, there's lots of different things you could do, but the three that I sort of picked out was an on-site facility assessment, number one. Number two, a dust hazard analysis. And number three, some emergency planning and response, pre-planning and response around safer responses to fires and thermal events at your facility. So the thought process was that on-site facility assessment really can be a quick evaluation for explosion hazards outside of equipment. You're looking to contain, collect, and clean your combustible dust to avoid having explosion outside of equipment uh, from a primary deflagration standpoint or from a secondary deflagration standpoint. Um, if you're not ready to do the full dust hazard analysis yet, doing on-site facility assessment is a great place to get started to get your hazard level down. These can also then feed right into your dust hazard analysis, which was the second thing that we talked about in the interview. Adding in contain, collect, clean, prevent, protect, isolate, looking at explosions inside equipment, looking at if are they prevented correctly, are they protected correctly, talking about things like NFA 652, final combustible dust, the systematic framework, for evaluating combustible dust hazards. Talked about testing, screening tests, some other things around that area of dust hazard analysis. And the third thing was emergency pre-planning. This is something I've been working on over the last uh, six or eight months with a working group following up from our conference last year, looking at safer response to fires and thermal events in facilities handling combustible dust. So listening to this, you'll get some of the preliminary ideas from that group, talking about how to prepare for, how to recognize, how to respond, how to recover from a fire safely in a way that you don't escalate the fire to have an explosion, in a way that you keep your people safe, keep your product safe, um, keep your facility safe as well. So those are three things that we talk about in this interview. We'll, we'll end this intro session here and just say, sit back and enjoy. I hope you enjoy the session with myself and Jordan Newton from Sonic Air Systems. Hello, and welcome to three things that you should do now to avoid a combustible dust event brought to you by Sonic Air. I know we've got people joining us from all around the world this morning, we've got folks all over North America and Europe, and we are so excited that you are here with us. I'm Jordan Newton. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Sonic Air, and I'll be your host today. I want to let you know that as we're talking, if you have any questions, make sure to pop them into the Q&A section. You should have a button there at the bottom of the screen that you can open that up and type them in. We'll answer as many as we can as time allows, and anything that we can't cover in our session today, we'll be sure to respond to you individually and make sure we get those questions answered. Well, 
Today, I'm talking with Dr. Chris Cloney, founder of Dust Safety Science and the host of the Dust Safety Science podcast. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Jordan. Really excited to be here and really talk to you. Really excited to talk to you and the group that you have on here today. Thanks. Yeah, Chris and I have worked together and collaborated on a few things and haven't really had a time to just sit down and dialogue about safety and dust. So I'm, I'm looking forward to our session today. Yeah, me as well. All right. So tell us a little bit about dust safety science. What is it? How, what do you want people to know about it? And what's currently going on with you and your team? So our, our company is DustX Research Limited, but the platforms most people will see us on is Dust Safety Science, Dust Safety Academy, um, and Dust Safety Professionals. And really the whole, the whole group of platforms was around a, an idea about combustible dust I had while doing my PhD research. So I started about a decade ago in 2011, 2012, looking at the physics and chemistry of dust explosions traveling around the world, talking to researchers, looking at really small scale laminar dust flames and people going out in outer space and rockets and doing, um, you know, aluminum dust investigations to, you know, laboratories. There's probably about hundred around the world blowing up stuff in these small 20 liter spheres. And it was really interesting. I loved it. I love combustion science. I love explosion research. I was very interested in explosion, detonation, blast, shockwave, physics. But when I came to the industrial application side and sort of said, okay, well, well what are we doing here as researchers? Um, I, I kind of quickly realized that there's this big disconnect. I, I'd be at these events talking to people about this really interesting science, but there's nobody from industry there. And then I go to Powder and Bulk Solid in Chicago and it'd be a massive you know, array of industries and there'd be no scientists there. And I sort of like started looking around, okay, well, who, who else is missing? So, okay, well, the regulators have a big role to play and are they here? Well, well, not really. They're doing their own thing and they have a thousand tasks to do and only 10 people to do it. And the process safety specialists were there as well, but they're having difficulties connecting with the industry. So it was really this kind of disparate group of folks involved in combustible dust. And that's really where the genesis of things like the podcast came from to say, okay, well, how can we start closing these gaps? How can we better understand safety, get these groups to communicate? It's just been one gap after another with these platforms, identifying through what we're doing, through the independent research that we create, and then saying, okay, how do we close that gap? How do we increase safety in combustible dust handling industries? I, I know I heard a quote yesterday that said, someone who knows what to do and how to do it will always have a job. But someone who knows the why will always have authority and not just know how to do things, but have authority in that space. And so I, I think uh, you've spoken to uh, your why a little bit behind that. So I appreciate you expanding on that and sharing that with us. So let's jump right into combustible dust. And so what, what's yeah, the good. big deal? Yeah. What's the big issue? Why is combustible dust uh, such a critical element of safety? Why do regulators care and why should we care? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's this really, I don't know if it's famous or infamous, but this word that's used by the chemical safety board on combustible dust, and they called it a like a like a latent hazard. Hazard just sort of sits around, and, and nobody thinks too much about it until something bad happens. You know, like kind of thing that sort of sits around, and and when it does go wrong, it can be devastating, and it, and it often is. But when it's not, then it seems pretty uh, innocuous, or, or doesn't really hurt a whole lot. It's, it's and there's some terminology issues that we have as a community, but it's just dust. It's the same stuff that's you know, on my, on my dresser here, we're talking about housekeeping. So we're, we're cleaning the little fluffy things. It's very inconspicuous. That can be a hazard, but it turns out when you look at it with a critical eye, 
it is quite a big hazard in terms of fires, in terms of flash fires and deflagrations, in terms of explosions. So that's like the, the latent issue behind everything is it seems relatively safe. But when you look out of the critical eye, then you realize, well, actually, there's quite a few people being hurt every year with this. So we have an incident database, tracks globally. We have a 1,000 recorded incidents since we started in 2017, 2016. And in the U.S., there's 30 major, whatever you want to call major, dust explosions every year. And that is generally ones that are large enough to make the local news. That means that we usually capture them in the database. There's about 30 injuries a year. And we see anywhere from one to five fatalities a year on average. And then every seven to 10 years, there's a really bad year where you have a whole lot more. And that's where the, the big spikes in awareness and the big spikes in, in pressure and muscle has come from. But those are two things. I mean, it's a real challenging industry um, that is causing loss. We talked about life and limb, but it caused a lot of property loss, a lot of product loss as well, a lot of downtime. It's this latent hazard just sort of kicks around until it does nothing, until it does something. And then it's really disparate. There's a whole lot of materials that can be involved and a whole lot of equipment that can be involved and a whole lot of process that can happen that could cause loss. So to wrap your arms around it, to wrap your head around it, it could be quite difficult. Um, and I'd say that even, you know, there's only a couple of people in the world that have read, wrapped their head around all of it, if you can even call it that. Most people have their own little chunk that they understand and they develop and they work from. Sure. Um, so those are three things. Really hard to wrap your head around, very disparate, causes real loss in the industry. And it's this latent hazard just sort of kicks around until something bad happens. So we sort of forget that it's bad until these things happen. Yeah, it's kind of that sleeping giant, right? Yeah. It's, uh, and it's complex and it's dangerous for sure. Okay, so if, if I'm a plant manager, if I'm an, a facility operator, I'm an EHS manager, what are the most important things I should do to avoid a combustible dust event? What are some things I can do now? Let's talk about those, those three things. Yeah, so I, I try to pick out three that I thought would be really kind of helpful for people to take away today. And the three that I, I came up with was just an on-site facility assessment. And right, generally here, you're looking for explosion hazards outside of equipment, and we can talk about what that means. Um, a dust hazard analysis, which is more of an extensive review on this. You start looking inside equipment, start looking at fires, flash fire, and explosion hazards. Um, and the third is emergency pre-planning, and in particular, safer response to fires and thermal events. Those are like the three key areas. So get somebody in and at least get an eye on your system, see you know, where you're at. Do this comprehensive dust hazard analysis. We can talk about that. And then one of the major avenues of loss that we see is that there's a thermal event, something gets hot, something is smoking, some gas builds up in a piece of equipment because of some sort of combustion or even non-combustion event. Um, you have an open fire and those are all mechanisms that then can escalate and cause uh, a large explosion. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but those sure. are three things, sure. facility yeah. assessment, DHAs and, and emergency pre-planning. Yeah, so let, let's talk about that assessment. And, and the explosions outside of equipment. What, what should we be looking for? Where do we begin? Where do, where do we even get started on something like that? Generally, and this, some people might say you should just start right with a, a dust hazard analysis. And, and maybe, mm -hmm. and maybe some people should, but there are facilities out there that don't know whether or not they fall under NFPA 652, the fundamentals of combustible dust. And there are facilities out there that aren't necessarily at the stage to take the full action on dust hazard analysis, but we still want them to have safer operations. So these are some of the cases where a facility assessment comes in. I think there's really three key things you're looking for in assessment. Where's the fuel? Is there fuel available for a fire or explosion? Where are the ignition sources? Are they available for fires or explosions? 
And also then you're looking at screening testing. So, okay, if we want to go down the route of NFPA 652 and understanding if that applies, then we need to get our material tested or we can opt in and just say, yep, the second step, DHAs are needed. A lot of time companies want to know whether or not that's uh, needed. And that's where your screening test comes in. Yeah, uh, so I, and like I thought that was the case. Yeah, yeah the, it, people can just say, we're not sure if it's combustible or not, but everybody in our, our industry treats it like combustible does. So chances are it's combustible. They can just skip right over that testing step and, and just go, we're dealing with combustible dust. Let's take it head on, right? They can they can choose that route. Exactly. And I think in the I'm not sure the exact verbiage in 652, but it's something like you can use historical data to opt in. Mm-hmm. There's a caution there. Don't use historical data unless it's unless you're really sure and there's yeah. funny wording yeah. there on your explosion protection equipment. Because if you're wrong, you may undersize your vents. Sure. You may have inappropriate timings on your fire extinguishing systems or your, your explosion suppression systems. Sure. There's things that come sure. in there. And we definitely want to be careful not to use that historical data to opt out, right? You can't opt exactly. out with that, but you can you can opt in. And we're really trying to avoid false, what is it? Mm. False negatives. Mm-hmm. You don't want you to opt out of a dust hazard analysis process if you actually need to identify those hazards. Because generally you're going to find out the hard way that, that you, you no longer could opt out when you have a fire yeah. or explosion. Yeah. Okay. So we've identified fuel, ignition, and then testing. So I, I got asked, I was at a trade show recently and I got asked, who are some testing labs you've worked with or, or where do I go for that? And, and I actually had one of my colleagues that was there with me said, hey, shouldn't they check out Chris's website? And I said, ah, that's the best resource. That's, that's the best place to go. So, so if I asked you today, Chris, I don't know where to begin to get, get testing. Where can I go to find a reputable testing laboratory? Where can we go for that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole reason we created Dust Safety Professionals as a platform um, mm-hmm. because we kept getting that question over and over mm-hmm. again. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, let's systematize this mm-hmm. um, and get all the testing houses on, on board. So through Dust Safety Professionals, we have member companies from Canada through the U.S., multiple in the U.S., to Asia, to Europe, to India. Uh, so wherever you are in the world, and, and most people are tuning in, this might be you know North America-based. Um, you just go to Dust Age Professionals. You can look at the list we have there or just put a request and say, hey, Dust Age Professionals team, I need help with this. And we get that sure. quite a bit. It could be sure. a steel manufacturer that, that, that their HJ has come in and said, hey, you got you to figure this out. You got to do a DHA. And they go, well, we don't really know if this applies. So they go to Dust Age Professionals, enter that information, then we work with them and say, okay, well, you're not really at the testing stage yet. Maybe mm-hmm. you need a consultant to come in and do a facility assessment. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about most facility assessments is they can roll into a DHA generally. Your DHA is a multi-day process. Right. Day one is generally the assessment anyway. So sure. if you're working with a, a good consultant, and we have many of them and dust professionals as well, they'll be able to do a sort of a dual quote. So if you do your testing, it turns out, hey, this doesn't apply, then they'll help you with your AHJs a lot of time, understand that there's no hazards there. Um, and if they do go down the road of doing a full dust hazard analysis, and that will you know contribute towards that. So you mentioned a term that I'm familiar with, but some of our folks that are watching today may not be as familiar with. You mentioned AHJ. So can you elaborate on that? And who is that typically? When we talk about an AHJ, who exactly are we talking about in most cases? Yes, the the hard, the easy to say, but hard to define AHJ. Right, right. It's really kind of a catch-all term that industry has put together to, to capture a lot of people. So one way to think about it is anyone who has the power to shut you down is, a, is an AHJ. And they take many forms. So it can be your local fire marshal. It can be your, your local 
building code enforcement agent. It could be the person who has to sign off on your site plans. It can be your insurance. If you can't operate mm-hmm. without insurance, mm-hmm. then your insurance is JHJ. More commonly, you might see an, an OSHA official being named your, your authority having jurisdiction. Right. Those are those are some of the different ones that you might be looking at. But I mean, when we get requests through Dust State Professionals, it's generally somebody has told me, like a local authority or building official has come in and said, hey, you need to do this. And then they're at that stage and they don't really know. If they're already going to trade shows and they're immersing combustible dust, they probably already know that they need to go to step two already. So their their AHAs might not be their local jurisdiction may already be past that stage of, of right. telling them they need to move ahead. Step one, identify the fuel, identify those ignition points, and look for a testing resource to find out if your dust actually is combustible. All right. Anything else on explosions outside of the equipment, just kind of in that outside environment? Yeah, I want to give sort of framework for people to think about it. One of the ways you'll you'll hear explained is at least for the fuel side is contain, collect, clean. So the three mm. C's. A lot of companies just start with clean. <laughs> so every time there's dust, we clean it up. And that's, you know, that's can be a, a good strategy. It's generally not the most efficient strategy. It's it's better to say, how can we keep this dust inside the equipment? So if you have leaks, if you have you know improper equipment design, those are all ways that containment of that dust inside your equipment can be a challenge. And there's ways to fix that. Better equipment mm-hmm. design, better conveyor mm-hmm. system design. Generally, you see conveyors that drop just from one to another, and that causes a dust cloud, and that dust then migrates. Sure. We can design that as a, I think they call them a scoop and spoon, but a different design avenue so you get laminar powder over that conveyor, and you don't get that dust kicking up. You can add in wetting, depending on the industry, or you can add in like solvents to keep your dust levels down. Mm-hmm. There's lots of ways to contain that dust in the powder stream or to contain inside the equipment. And feed, maybe you want to screen that dust out before you even ever hit your facility. Maybe you only want to buy corn that's been pre-screened so that you don't have that dust that's coming right. out. So there's a lot of steps you can take on containment that are going to really make it easier to clean yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. What about yeah. filtration maintenance? I get asked about that occasionally. My understanding is that over time, if you don't do proper maintenance of your filter system, the performance is going to degrade. Is that something you have experience with or something that kind of falls into this, this contain category here yeah it's really the second piece collect so if you can't if you can't contain the equipment then you want to Mm -hmm. collect it at your transfer points generally and dust collection there's i don't know who there's this local dentist i hear on the radio and and every morning they play the same thing so sort of drawn to my head it says you don't need to take care of all your teeth just the ones you want to keep (laughs) it's like well you don't take care of all your dust collection equipment but you know just the ones you want to function well right Um, right so it's Generally, it's abrasive material. It can be sticky. There's, you know, powder mm-hmm. involved. And, mm-hmm. and efficiency is going to degrade over time of a dust collection system. They do need maintenance. They do need upkeep. And in some circumstances, they can also be a challenge, too, because they've added in a lot of the elements needed for a dust explosion are inherent in, dust, in the dust collection equipment. Often, containing can be a better strategy, contain mm-hmm. mint. Not always, though. I mean, there's other cases where dust collection is superbly working. If you've got a dust collector and there's like dust all around it or all around the pickup points, then you're probably not really maximizing your efficiency with dust. It should be capturing, I don't know what the match number is, but let's say somewhere between 70 and 95% of the material that's coming through it. And the good designers would probably say, you know, above 90%. Yeah. If, you're, yeah. if you're not capturing everything right. with the dust collection equipment, it's not designed or, or kept going very well. So yeah. with that... Um 
25 to 10% or whatever that escapes. That's what we call fugitive dust. So I think that's where the, the clean comes in. And so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So that's the third C. So contain, mm-hmm. collect, clean. Um, mm-hmm. So for cleaning, you really want to then get that out of your, your facility in a safe manner. The traditional method to do that, and when I say traditional, maybe historical method might be just to blow right. it down to the ground and sweep right. it up. Turns out that that was causing more incidents than, than it was it was saving at the end of the day because you're creating that dust cloud in the vicinity mm-hmm. of the employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really frowned upon and really can only be done as per NFPA under very specific circumstances that are generally more onerous than, than using other cleaning methods. Yeah. So you really want to, at a, a frequency, it's going to keep the level of dust below hazardous levels, uh, clean that material. And the thing that I like about the Sonic Air fan systems is that they take care of that for you in some of the most dangerous places. So the dust that yeah. it gets fugitive and wafts up really high is generally the driest. It's also generally the smallest particle size. Those are the two parameters that affect dust combustibility the most. So that's like the dangerous dust is up up above people's heads up in these rafters. So when you have an event that gets rained down and the sonic air systems then are there to sort of stop that from happening, to keep that below off that equipment. And the thing that I really like, and it's something that you told me early, Jordan, and sort of clicked in my head. It's like, well, most people clean, you know, when it gets above the hazardous threshold, right? Like you're waiting for a hazard to happen. Right before you clean. So these systems are going all the time That's right. and not letting that happen. And it just always stuck with me because there's always going to be that balance of, okay, well, should we shut down the plant and clean today? Yeah. Or if there's always, yeah. always a production rush and there's always a production rush, right. it's always going right. to be, okay, well, let's, let's just wait a little bit longer. Let's schedule once a quarter instead of once a month or whatever. And you're always, you know, spending 25% or 50% of your time or more in hazardous conditions. If that's you're a right. facility that's even, even doing that. That's right. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's a bunch under clean to do it safe. Uh, and, and I really like the role that Sonic Air plays in that because I think it's a novel approach and one that's really useful for that. Sure. Sure. Thanks, Chris. All right. Let's, uh, any, any final thoughts on uh, explosions and problems outside of the equipment before we move on into the equipment? Yeah, I'd just say, well, two things. So one, if you have questions while you're listening to this and I mm-hmm. see the audience keeps piling in here. So put those in the Q and a box. Um, and we're going to have a, a section at the end of the presentation to talk about that or the end of the yeah. interview, I guess I did do slides with then Jordan said, no, let's just talk. So <laughs> and I'm being yeah. just a discussion, which was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's number one. Number two is, yeah. If you just don't know what to do, that's why we created dust stage professionals. It's, mm-hmm. it's okay to go in there and say, mm-hmm. my name is John. I mm-hmm. don't know what to do. Somebody mm-hmm. said this. And that exact reason is the gap that we created DSP for. It's like, how do we get that person to move towards safety? So that's not two years later and they're still like, I don't know what to do. So if you know what to do. Yeah. That's great. Code DSP, put it in there. Geez, use a Gmail account if you want to don't put in your name. But yeah. It's going to make it a little bit harder, but do that. We can have a dialogue and figure out and connect sure. with the right people. Sure. Most people, at least what companies that are working with the materials and stuff. But that, that'd be the last time I'd say that's just sort of the first step on facility assessment before getting into things like DHAs and NFPA 652. All right. Let's talk about inside the equipment. Where do we go from there? So we talked about contain, collect, clean. Just for the sake of adding another geometric shape to an already geometric shape filled slide deck for combustible dust, we call the dust safety hexagon the other three elements. So if you imagine six sides, it's contain, collect, clean. And the other sides are prevent, protect, isolate. 
you can do preventing prevention, protection, isolation outside of equipment. But generally, you're talking about then doing that inside equipment as the, the other sides of the, the dust safety hexagon, if you will. Because of the very broad knowledge needed to evaluate these hazards, it can be quite difficult. I'll give you some examples. Imperial sugar, mm-hmm. clogged silo, leads to explosion, propagates through a duct, blows out a floor, yeah. leads to dust rain down and facility loss or loss of a large yeah. section. Of the Catastrophic, facility. for sure. Catastrophic. Big, mm-hmm. big event. Mm-hmm. You know, we have other events where it's just a bucket elevator, explosion probably gets through, zips mm-hmm. open, and, and injures employees. Um, I see someone on the call who's who I personally talked to about a, an incident that he his team witnessed where it was just a bag dump station. They've done mm-hmm. a thousand bag dumps before, and one day, whatever the reason, if it emptied quicker or there was charge built up on the bags or whatever, it ignited right. and engulfed the worker. So we have like very disparate size and scales, very disparate materials. So it can be quite a challenge to wrap your head around all the different hazards with combustible dust. And I always say, well, wouldn't it be great if you had a systematic way to do that? That is what NFPA 652 is trying to provide to, to us, the, the end users right. of the code. It's okay, right. well, here's a, a systematic way to walk through and figure out those hazards. The terminology used in 652 is a dust hazard analysis. This will include hazards outside of the equipment, but also includes the hazards inside of the equipment. That's where really the next step after you've done your screening say, okay, or opted in and say, yep, we have a combustible dust. What do we need to do here? It's walking through and understanding and completing that dust hazard analysis. So again, I don't know what to do. I don't know. This is the first time I'm hearing about a dust hazard analysis or I've heard about them in, in maybe industry meetings and things like that. Where do I begin? Where, how do I get started doing a dust hazard analysis? It sounds complicated. How does that work? Well, it, it, in concept, it's easy to say. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, a nice mm-hmm. flow chart. It's just, mm-hmm. I'm going off memory, so forgive me if I forget this step, but screen your materials, opt in or uh-huh. opt out, do your material characterization, understand the fire, flash fire hazards of those materials, walk through each part of your facility and say, where are the fire, flash fire, explosion hazards, um, identify what kind of loss they might cause, and identify any gaps between your prescriptive requirements outlined in whatever standard set you're using. Generally, people use NFPA 652 as the Mm -hmm. umbrella and then all the other Mm -hmm. NFPA standards. Mm -hmm. You could be specking against your own internal standards, though, or some international standard as well. But that's the identifying the gaps between where you're at and those prescriptive requirements, Mm -hmm. developing an implementation plan to close those gaps, and then any specific concerns for your industry and management systems, which there, there are a lot of them. So we talked about housekeeping already as one management system, employee training, emergency response preparedness, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, there's one other eight or nine that are listed in 652. So it's like a very systematic way of saying, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, to evaluate all the hazards at your facility. Sure. I think there's a template for a DHA in, in the appendix of NFPA 652. Isn't that right? Isn't yeah, there is. There's yeah. So if you're not familiar with that, nfpa.org, and you can go there and register and view a copy of NFPA 652 there and take a look at the uh, appendix. And there's a, a template there that you can download or print off or create your own and work through that. And then, Chris, you have resources available as well. If people say, I'm not into that really complicated. Can I just hire somebody, a consultant to come in and help us do that? You've, you've got resources for that as well, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple things there. So the, the appendix in 652 is a really good reference. Um, mm-hmm. There's another book called guidelines for combustible dust hazard analysis yes. published yes. by the center 
for chemical process safety, CCPS. Uh, that's a really good reference too. And they actually talk about it in this hazards outside equipment, inside equipment, mm-hmm. the sort of framework mm-hmm. we're talking about here. And they have very good walkthrough examples as well. So those are kind of the place you go. And there's the biggest challenge today with, with DHAs is who can, who can do them and who, mm-hmm. who magically grants the power to people to be able to do them, which is the answer is no one, <laughs> um, sort of. The HGA is the final say, but generally HGA doesn't have the understanding to, to say if you're competent to be able to do a DHA right. or not. So there, there are avenues where you could train employees yourselves to do a, a, a functioning DHA. And then there's avenues where it's, it's better to hire somebody. Now, does it make sense to talk about those sort of things? Because that's something we put a lot of brain space into at Dust Safety Science, figuring out what is, you know, who, who do we want to call a qualified person for the sake of dust safety professionals? Right. I think the standard does say competent, I think, is what they try to define there. Yeah. We really see it as three things. So this is the, the dust safety science, dust, dust safety professionals version of it. This is something I'll be presented at, or I presented at NFPA's conference this year. Mm-hmm. Is you, you need three components to to do to be a qualified person in my view. Again, this isn't an NFPA view; it's nobody else's view but ours. But at least it's it's something to put out there. You need a broad understanding and experience of combustible dust hazards. You need a specific understanding of the equipment and materials you're working in, and demonstrable experience performing or leading DHAs um, in the past. And the reason you need these three things is if you worked in feeding grain for a long time, that's great. Maybe you even sat in some DHAs, but if you don't know combustible dust and the fundamentals, you're going to miss stuff when you evaluate the hazards. Sure. If you study combustible dust, you did the, the courses from NFPA, this came a really great course. And, and maybe you even work in feeding grain, you know, should you do a DHA in the newest nano titanium metal printer? Well, yeah. probably not. You don't yeah. have specific material or, or industry experience. Now, if you have both those things, you just never done a DHA, but you're probably going to miss some of the framework, some of the steps. Right. So then the question really becomes, how do we hire somebody who has these three things or how do we develop somebody on our team who has these three things? And I'd encourage that to be the first question for it's like, okay, who can right. do, who can, who can find the checklist and, and do the DHA here? I would stop and say, well, okay, how do we develop somebody as a call up by a person? Yeah. And what you'll probably find is if you have one site and you're doing it one time, it's probably going to be cheaper to hire somebody external right. than to train somebody right. up. You have multiple sites, or if you have right. a lot of change processes and you want to come back and reevaluate your DHA over time, then train somebody up. But you need to walk through those steps yeah. of making them a qualified person because you're going to miss things otherwise. Sure. All right. I don't want to run out of time uh, before we get to uh, these three bullet points here for sure. But pre-planning and, and responses to fires and thermal events. Unpack that for us a little bit. Yeah, so let's talk about it. So there's, we talk about hazards inside equipment, hazards outside equipment, facility assessments, dust hazard analysis. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of the stuff you're going to see when you Google how do I deal with combustible dust. Well, if you Google that, you're probably going to come up with one of our platforms. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why we create them. But yeah, yeah. Um, we run this instant database, and every year we record um, almost 100, probably even more than 100, actually, 1,000 over five years. So we're averaging 150 to 200 a year. Wow. And we want to say, you know, what, what is the common methods of loss. And one of the big things that comes up that's not addressed is this response to fires. Mm. And it's not the, the, the question comes after is like, well, what is a fire? It's a fire, a big flaming thing that we see, or is it, you know, could it be black flecks in our, in our mm. output stream? So we actually create a working group at our conference last year and said, okay, who wants to tackle this problem? We got a team of eight people together. 
Um, we've been working on it for about six months and it'll probably take us another six months to kind of get the final report and stuff together. But it's about identifying what are the common factors associated with loss from fires and thermal events. And the framework is, is prepare, recognize, respond, and recover. So if you just don't recognize you have a thermal event, that often will lead to that escalating to an explosion. There's a current chemical safety board investigation going on at, I think the town's called Bell, but I don't know what state it's in. I can't remember what state it's in, but they haven't released a report. They released like an update. They said, okay, before the incident happened, in the sort of time thing up to it, there were black flecks noticed wow. in yeah. the output. So that's what I mean by recognize. It's like, well, so is that a thermal event? And how can that lead to, to an explosion? Go ahead. You're really, you're really talking about the warning signs, the precursors, yeah. the, the, the primary, the near, it's a near miss. It's a primary event that hasn't led to that catastrophic secondary event yet. So how do we, how do we address that and make that a priority so that we never have that secondary catastrophic exactly. event? How do we recognize it? How do we mm-hmm. respond mm-hmm. in a safer way? And how do we recover? So mm-hmm. respond, do we, you know, do we have sprinklers that are going to kick in and, and land on burning hot metal dust and, and cause an explosion or yeah. are employees yeah. trained with fire extinguishers and maybe kick that up and cause an explosion in the facility oh, yeah. and then recover when you turn it back on. Okay. Is that gap mill clean enough? And it turned out when you turn it back on, there's still a smoldering mm-hmm. mass in there, pulled through the Mac main system, and you have explosive blows yeah. inside your building. When I say maybe, the, the whole goal as a working group, we pulled out, I think, 80 incidents of exactly those cases. And those are real things. They're not maybes. They're cases that have caused loss right. from right. not recognizing, not responding in a safe manner or recovering. It all points back to, okay, how do we prepare for these thermal events and fire events in a better way? How do we train our employees to recognize, respond, and recover? So. I don't have the steps for that yet, other than start thinking about your emergency preparedness. What are you calling yeah. an emergency? Do people run towards the issue? Do they run away from the issue? When do you call right. a fire department? Right. What are they wearing when they run to a, mm. don't run. <laughs> <laughs> if it's emergency walk, it's, yes. it's, it's yes. been shown to have better outcomes. Well, yes. you know, what are they wearing? Are they wearing Tyvek suits? Right. They don't fare too well in thermal flash fires. Um, yes. Are they wearing regular clothes? It also doesn't, the dust fireworks get trapped underneath the clothes and, and cause really bad burns. Yeah. So there's all kinds, of, there's a whole branch of that and, and it's not well documented. There's guidance between a bunch of different stakeholders and that's all purposes of working groups pulled together and say, okay, well just where should people go and try to figure this out? So that's the third thing I'd say is start thinking about your emergency planning. How do you deal with fires and thermal events? Sure. Excellent. All right. We've got a couple of questions that have popped in here. So great. You mentioned reviewing the DHA. So how often should that be done? Is that uh, identified in the standard? Is that a rule of thumb? Is that just general practice? What, what's, what should be the accepted uh, review, review cycle for the DHAs? Yeah, so good question. Let me just pull up because I got, um, I'm using NFPA link. This is like a show to an NFPA product, but I'm using NFPA link now. Um, okay. If you're a regular code user, <laughs> You should look at it. It's like the cost of one code document a year. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. it's, it's really good. <laughs> um, so I've just found the, they don't pay me for, for giving me a shit. It's just really that much better than, than flipping through paper copies. So in terms of the general requirements, then uh, see, after I talked it all up, I'm not sure where it is in the, in the document. But uh, I think it's every five years or sooner, depending on when your changes are that you're, you're okay. doing your facility. That's the keynote. If you're making changes, if you're adding parts to your facility, um, you really need to have that being a living and breathing yeah. document yeah. Um, to to move forward with. 
I will find that as we talk. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. All right. Uh, here's an interesting question. So how do I convince upper level management to spend money on dust controls and dust mitigation? Yeah. Great question. Um, it's like the million dollar question. It's the mm-hmm. thing that literally, <laughs> <laughs> well, it is the million dollar yeah. question. Um, yeah. It's all good to say to, for me to get up here and say as a, an independent researcher and uh, that we should do it to save lives and limb. And, mm-hmm. and that's true. And that's, you know, why lives come to work, but mm-hmm. does that move the needle in safety? And, and historically maybe it hasn't. So we do need to get better at what we're affectionately calling selling safety at the moment. Cause mm-hmm. I have no better name for it, but I would encourage you if you're in a position where you need to have that influence. If you look at the PSM literature there, they say the process safety management literature, that you need to have upper level buy-in and, but they don't necessarily right. tell you how to do it. Right. But I'd say start to document the true cost of what's going on. Mm. I've seen this be successful with health and safety managers where they, where you just ask, well, you know, how much that cost you last year to have fires, flash fires, explosions. And you don't know the answer because it generally gets pulled into just operating expenses. It doesn't get broken out. So that fire that burned up your bags and your dust collector, well, that just goes under, you know, that $20,000 or $80,000 loss, wherever it is, just went under operating expenses. So you sort of, it's going to take some work on your end, but you sort of start tracking that in, on, your, on your own or if you get support to say, hey, we should track this. Yeah. You'll see that there is actually a cost associated with non, non-improvement of your safety system mm-hmm. from hard costs, replacing equipment, from downtime, from employee injury to employee compensation payments. And after doing that for a year, then you can go to your management and say, hey, we lost $150,000 or $1.5 million or $15,000, depending on if you're a one-man woodshop to a, whatever, a food processor on replacement of fires and flash fires and downtime from quote unquote, small deflagrations. And they're going to go, well, holy smokes, fix that. And you go, well, okay, here's a $20,000 investment we can make. And, and we think we can reduce that by 75% or something. Uh, That's the process I've been recommending. And I have seen success in some industries where health safety managers can do that. That's something if you have input or questions or feedback, send them to Jordan on that specific thing. I'd love to bounce some ideas off other people that are in that position to say, Hey, what are some other ways we can sell safety? But that's, that's what I'm telling people. Try to pull that out of OPEX operating expenses and, yeah. and give you a denominator to actually measure the performance of your safety system against. Cause right now the denominator is zero, then, then you can't actually it's infinity. That doesn't right. make sense, but you get the point. You need something yeah. to measure against. <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of uh, how much risk are you comfortable with? Uh, and what kind of insurance in the form of dust control and dust protection can you put in place to protect the loss of life and limb? And not only that, but protect against the loss of production or the catastrophic devastation of your facility or something like that as well. Yeah. And I just, the, the last, like, I know I'm kind of harping on, but the point I want to hit on is most of the time when you have a large facility or even a small facility, fire, flash fire, there's a history there. Mm-hmm. And the question is how much that history costs them over the last five years. Mm-hmm. If they had to recognize the cost, maybe we could prevent it by putting something in. And we've done this a couple of times where on the podcast, I've done episodes tracking a company over time that we don't give a name to and watch them track themselves out of business yeah. by burning up bags, by injuring, right. not by, not by causing fatalities because then, then they become exposed and the media, and that's a whole nother thing you should probably put in your calculation. <laughs> um, right. But right. they actually, they actually, because of unsafe acts end up going out of business because of loss of competitiveness, because of local, you know, local community suing them because their plant smells because they burned yeah. up their scrubber. Yeah. You know, all these things sort of happen and, and, and cause these challenges. 
Yeah. All right. I think we are almost out of time. So just real quick, hit those three points one more time. Just, just summarize those for us before we get out of here. Yeah. So the three things, um, on-site facility assessment is generally the first step. Um, mm -hmm. unless you know, you need to, unless you're asking, you want to do a DHA, then you can do your screening test and move forward or just opt in. But if you you're, have questions about that, just get somebody on to say, hey, you know, what does this look like? And generally, they're going to be looking at hazards outside of equipment. We didn't really talk a lot about ignition sources, but that's one part they'll look at. And where's the fuel? Where's the dust at? Dust hazard analysis then extends that to hazards inside equipment and more of a holistic view, mm -hmm. more comprehensive view. And your emergency response plan. And the, there's a whole bunch of avenues to that. And I think there's actually an FPA standard on it. But the big one that we're seeing a lot of loss on is a thermal event is occurring. And during the yeah. recognition, response, or recovery of that event, it gets escalated to an explosion. And there's, we don't have a good number, but like at least a quarter, maybe up to a half of the large mm -hmm. instances we're seeing have this leading indicator, not just like leading indicator, like it's happened a couple of times over the past, but like the hours leading up to and minutes leading up to the, the explosion, there was a fire or a thermal event going on that if recognized, responded to appropriately, or recovered from would have stopped mm. from happening. There's a, there's a warning sign there somewhere. Yeah. And two, two callbacks. So it is uh, seven every five years for DHA as per okay. 652, 7.1.4. And insidious, I just saw the word. Insidious. So the, the Chemical Safety Board said it's insidious hazard. And if you look at insidious, it says something like, if you look at the, the Webster Dictionary, it's like sits around and does nothing until it does something bad. It's the sleeping uh, giant. Let's yeah, just call it the sleeping giant. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> All right, Chris, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I've learned a lot. This has been very helpful for me, as I know, as I'm out uh, at trade shows and in uh, facilities and talking with people. I know this, uh, these are important uh, tips and piece of information that people can go out and start doing something. That, and I think that's that's the first step is just be active. Do something. Don't just say, oh, that was some great information and throw it in a file, uh, but actually take this information out and do something with it to make your facility a little bit safer for you and your, your employees and your coworkers. So, Chris, thanks for coming on. If people want to learn more about dust safety science, where should they go? Yeah, if you're, I mean, if you're listening to this, um, you might, must like listening to people's voices or maybe you just wanted to <laughs> tune in to see me or Jordan. Uh, if that's true, if you listen to things in your car, like podcasts uh, or at the gym or while working or walking or whatever, Dust Safety Science Podcast, we have over 100 hours of me and other people talking about combustible dust, everything from survivor stories to large loss investigations to uh, like every little nook and cranny of the research universe. That's one area to go. If you want to know more in terms of knowledge education, the Dust Safety Academy is the place to go. We have a thousand members there today of people that are, are trying to increase their understanding of combustible dust. If you need help, if you don't know where to start, um, Dust Safety Professionals, go there and we'll, we'll get you rolling with your Dust Safety program. Or if you do have a program in place and you just have a question on some specific aspect, we have the experts in the world from Malaysia to Japan to UK to Scotland the place, but all over the place. Um, we're trying to collect them all up at Dust Aid Professionals to say, okay, well, this is how we get you moving on your next steps. Yeah. And Chris is on LinkedIn and very active. So if you're on LinkedIn, follow Chris there. You can follow me there. I'm Jordan Newton. If you want more information on specifically fugitive dust solutions, check us out at sonicair.com or email us at moreinfo at sonicair.com. Thank you for attending and listening with us today.
And so that's it for the day's podcast episode. I hope you enjoy the tables turned and hearing uh, me being interviewed by by Jordan. I do appreciate what the work that he's doing with Sonic Air, with uh, their systems and solutions that they're providing to the combustible dust community. Uh, they are members of Dust Safety Professionals. I also appreciate the education work that they do. I'm going out of their way and running things like these interview webinar series uh, to educate the, the audience that they're working with as well. In the interview, we talk through these three things you should do today to avoid a combustible dust event. Jordan interviewed me a bit on why we do what we do, what combustible dust means to the, the broader community, um, what are the challenges there. Then we talked through these, these three things. So on-site facility assessment, um, completing your dust hazard analysis, looking at your emergency pre-planning and safer response to fires and thermal events. It's a key area that we're seeing time and time again through the incident database is causing loss. So that's something we're focusing on a lot in 20, late 2021 and moving into 2022 as well. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We have a safe and productive week ahead and I appreciate everything you do in industries handling combustible dust Make them safer with your expertise, make them safer with your effort, make them safer with your work every day. Thank you.